Hello and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen Haupt, and I'm joined today by George. I'm going to mess up the last name. How do you say it? Winker. 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 Did I say that right? That's correct. Yes. And he is our regional director in French-speaking Africa, correct? Correct. Perfect. Um, and yeah, let's just get started with our conversation. Um, how did you first get involved with HLI? Well, I first got involved with HLI in the 90s when I was a Catholic seminarian uh, for the Diocese of Boya in Cameroon. And uh, I was a member of the Seminarians for Life group in the major seminary of St. Thomas Aquinas in Bambui, Cameroon. Okay. And did you meet HLI missionaries at seminarian programs or how did you first like get connected with uh, HLI? Interestingly, it was through the Seminarians for Life newsletter. Oh, interesting. Yes. So was there an article or did you just hear about them that way? No, we got, we received one in the post and the director asked me if I could start a group that could um, be be formed along the lines that were uh, advised and recommended in that newsletter. So we formed that group and... Um, brought a few seminarians together and uh, 20, nearly 30 years later, the group is going strong. That's really cool. Okay. That's a question then, because I'm pretty sure you're married. So did you discern out of seminary? Is that what happened? Of course. Yes. In the discernment (laughs) process um, led me into considering another vocation apart from the vocation to the priesthood. And this happened to be the call to be married and I'm happily married to my wife, Annie. And our three children who live in Douala, Cameroon. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I guess that was like a great experience though, because I mean, I guess seminary is always a great experience, but you also found a role in HLI too. So Yes. um, Seminary is a great experience because it leads you to explore a lot of philosophies and ways of thinking that you would ordinarily not be able to explore if you weren't a student for the priesthood. So when you go to seminary, the first three years are made of philosophical studies and you you, you dig deep into what are those modes of thinking and the ways of thinking that have led um, societies to develop the way they have and cultures to come up the way they have, be the ecclesiastical culture, be, be the philosophical culture per se, or even be the um, cultures of how knowledge is gathered, how knowledge is passed on, and how all of this is formed together. So a seminary becomes a very interesting place um, because uh, the seminary prepares a young man for service as priests, Mm-hmm. So they give them as wide a worldview as possible. So when you get the opportunity to go to seminary, even if you leave only after three years of philosophy, you approach the world with a perspective that only few people have. And I think I consider myself privileged to have had that education. That's really cool. Yeah, I I was like philosophy major in college, so not quite the same thing, but yes. I really appreciated just learning those different ideas of thinking and being able to recognize what the driving philosophies are behind things. Cause once you understand like what lines of thought are behind people's actions, you can see, you can figure out the best way to address them and help them where they are and be like, okay, this is what we agree on. How can I help you move from this like flawed philosophy into something that's true? Or how can I connect with you on something we agree with and then move to truth from there? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's really cool. When did you first become regional director? 
Um, um, I, actually, my relationship and um, um, involvement with HLI grew steadily. Okay. Uh, from 1996, I was a volunteer, then I became a coordinator, and eventually, uh, you know, evolved into a regional director role. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting because it was like the military. You go from step to step to step until you get to um, out something I could call the top of it. But in HLI, we're not talking about the top because we are serving yes. and everybody's a foot soldier. And all that we are interested in is how we can advance the cause of life, mm-hmm. love, family and marriage around the world. And everybody does it in their own small corner. And we come together as we just did mm-hmm. to see how we could pull all our experiences together, how we could pull all our thoughts and ideas together, and how as a group and as an organization, we can move these uh, uh, special and specific direction of mission forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really, really cool last week being able to be present um, at all the different presentations that you gave and hearing what's going on all around the world and even just seeing you guys work together, being like, oh, I know this priest in this area that you should talk to, this the international network that there is. Um, what are some of the things that you're involved with on the mission field? Um, like, I know you do seminarian trainings, priest trainings. Um, what are, just like, what is, what kind of specific mission work do you do in your part of Africa? Yeah, um, you see, every part of the mission field has its challenges. Mm-hmm. Now, and some challenges are more urgent than others. Mm-hmm. So we are working in a number of areas. One of them is advocacy because there are lots of government policies happening mm-hmm. for which we have to um, help our people understand what are the stakes, mm-hmm. you know, what are the directions they should or shouldn't take based on what we stand for. And we stand for um, marriage as God intended it to be. We stand for young people growing and preparing themselves um, to be responsible and fully developed adults in the future. Mm -hmm. We stand for um, communities um, looking after their old and keeping them together with them and not throwing them away as we begin to see in many cultures today. And we stand for helping young people, young children to conserve, to keep their innocence until a stage when they are mature enough to handle some of the challenges that life throws at them in the areas of human sexuality, in the areas of um, uh, love, of love and marriage, and so on. Now, and so when we look at some of these challenges that we have to face, then we address them as they occur. But otherwise, we have routine programs, so training of seminarians, uh, teaching um, families, uh, NFP, um, and working also in the area of training. So we we, 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 we help um, people who are involved with the media to understand the issues. We help people who are involved with social work to understand that beyond the whole aspect of solving problems of communities. They have to be a human side and a human background to all the things they do. So it's it's a very varied, a very wide mission field. And um, we find ourselves addressing some issues as they come, but we find ourselves also carrying out routine um, uh, aspects of this mission, like you just mentioned, training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, just for our listeners, like clarification, can you just tell them what the French speaking part of Africa is? Because I didn't know what that was before I came. Like, what are some of the countries that are in your region? Oh, yeah. Um, um, Africa was colonized by a number of European countries mm-hmm. um, um, in the 50s and the 40s after the Second World War. And these countries kind of divided African countries amongst themselves mm-hmm. and became what we call their colonial masters. Mm-hmm. So... Um, these were mainly the French, the English, um, or the British, mm-hmm. the Germans, and the Portuguese, and to a lesser extent, the Spaniards. So if you look at countries that were colonized by the French, they are called French-speaking countries. Mm-hmm. Those who were colonized by the English are called English-speaking countries. Mm-hmm. And those who were um, colonized by the Portuguese are Portuguese-speaking countries. So Portuguese-speaking countries would be like Mozambique and Angola. Okay. Um, English-speaking countries would be like Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya. Mm-hmm. But my region, which is French-speaking Africa, will be made up of countries like Togo, Benin, Burkina Faso, Mali, Gabon, Central African Republic, um, Democratic Republic of Congo to an extent, but Democratic Republic of Congo was actually colonized by the Belgians. So that's an exception. Although they speak French, um, use French as an official language. Mm -hmm. So again, this would basically mean countries which were colonized by the French Mm -hmm. and who today have French as one of their official languages. Okay, that makes sense. Are those generally in the Western part of Africa? Am I correct thinking about where they fall. You're correct. The okay. They are largely in the western part of Africa, but they are interspersed between or among um, English-speaking countries. So you have Togo, which is near um, 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 Ghana, mm-hmm. and Nigeria, which is near Benin. That's true. And so on. So, but they are they are lumped almost <laughs> all of them in. You'd have a few exceptions yeah. uh, down in in the in, in, in the central part of Africa, like Cameroon, like Gabon like Central African Republic and so on. Okay. Yeah, I was just trying to help our listeners have a little visual exactly. of what areas we're talking about. That's and then what are some of the like biggest challenges that you're facing on the mission field? Like what's going on culturally that you find yourself... I, I know that there's a lot of um, like anti-life groups that are coming in and um, you're combating a lot of that and you obviously have poverty and people who are trying to get abortions because of, I mean, I don't know if that's more of your side or Emil's side um, or if it's both, but I know there's like a lot of cultural issues that are going on. Can you talk a little bit about what specific challenges you face? Yeah. Sometimes people um, reduce our work to discussion of, uh, on the fight against abortion. It's way, Mm -hmm. way, way bigger than that. Yes. It's first of all, a cultural war. Mm -hmm. It's a cultural war because once you, affect or infect the way people think Mm -hmm. and the way they go about their lives and the way they go about their daily lives, then you can affect their major decisions. Mm -hmm. So we having one of the biggest areas that most people don't realize is the media. Mm -hmm. Because the media informs, educates, and uh, perhaps uh, deforms to a large extent. Mm-hmm. Because if we look at the media, look at the kind of entertainment we're getting from down in the media. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cartoons that are meant for kids are laced with LGBT um, terminology and imagery. Yeah. Um, 
you look at something like movies, movies are all driving that agenda. So it is hard these days to see uh, a movie that is well rated to be free from um, LGBT connotations and so on. So media is one of them. And our young people are delving into it. Mm -hmm. Internet access is growing in Africa. It's a good thing, but it brings in the good, the bad and the ugly. Mm-hmm. So we're getting um, a lot of good stuff coming. People can do research. People can get information more quickly. People mm-hmm. can buy and sell things more quickly. But it is also opening up doors, more doors of bad things like pornography, mm-hmm. to which our people were not as widely exposed as they are today. So mm-hmm. anybody get uh, on any anyone with a cell phone can actually have as much pornography as they want. Yeah. Almost for free. So these are the challenges. And we cannot fight people putting stuff on the internet. But we can educate, we can inform, and we can direct the people to whom we have access mm-hmm. to know there are inherent dangers in using um, and, 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 and subscribing mm-hmm. to pornography. Yeah. Whether you are a young person middle-aged person, married person, single person, mm-hmm. because it deforms your view on human sexuality. Yeah. And that's one area. But another area is the school system. Mm-hmm. One of the things which, if you want to destroy a society very quickly, mm-hmm. one of the best ways of doing it is by getting hold of the school system. When you get the schools, hold of the school system, you affect and you inform the way young people or people involved in that school system think. And it goes through all levels. In kindergarten, the same. In college or university, the same. In professional schools, the same. Because the things medical doctors are taught, sometimes in medical school, are at variance with proven and and, and, and researched uh, data. Yeah. Yeah. So we in in some countries now we're getting not back at home, but here mm-hmm. in America we're getting questions about whether there is male or whether there's female. But male yeah. and female, the same. In, in 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 sorry, male and female are totally different, or they are intrinsically different. Yes. <laughs> they are they they, they they are complementary, but they are not the same. Yes. And that issue is a big issue that is coming up. You, you, you must have heard also, um, there's been a strong drive from the West, particularly from the United States of America, yes. to um, push for uh, greater liberalization or even legalization of LGBT, LGBT um, activities. Mm-hmm. So of um, marriage between same-sex couples, mm-hmm. um, the ability and the facility for them to adopt and for them to carry out LGBT activity undisturbed. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a lot of pushback from Africa. And we've seen that, uh, thankfully, from countries like uh, Kenya, like Uganda, mm-hmm. uh, and many other countries which have done it in a more subdued way. But Kenya and Uganda have addressed it with exactly the same ferocity with which it was presented in their societies. Interesting. So I think those are issues. What I say mm-hmm. is every day you get up, there's a new challenge. Yes. And so you got to fight every day of your life. 
Do you see a lot of Western organizations trying to promote things like that in Africa? Plenty, plenty, yeah. plenty. They, 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 they are all over the place. Um, and uh, we, But we in our work should not be disturbed by them. Yes. We're talking here about people with deep pockets, a mm-hmm. lot of resources, government connections. They have um, uh, hostage, taken hostage um, mm-hmm. some governments. They've taken hostage some legislatures. In fact, I know one country, the country of Benin, mm-hmm. where their population policy was um, uh, IPPF was mm-hmm. part of the drafting process of their population policy. International Planned Parenthood. Yes. Right? Yeah. So if International Planned Parenthood drafts your policy for you, you can imagine what kind of things they're going to fit into it. Mm-hmm. Okay, but that's, they are big, they are strong, they are wealthy, mm-hmm. but I don't think they have the highest and the best benefits of the local people at heart because they don't have consideration for what culture they met. Mm -hmm. All what they are interested in bringing is by imposing Western agenda on African countries, which is a pity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, it is a pity. And it's, it's vicious on, from that, their point of like, what they're doing is vicious on every, in every culture, but attacking the culture and tearing down life and family, which is what your culture is built on. Like all cultures should be built on family because that's, the foundation of society. Yes, so, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's always interesting to think about what the global... I think us here in America can get very focused on thinking that what's going on here is what's going on in the rest of the world. And yes, the things we're struggling with here are becoming problems in the part of the world, but I don't think Americans realize how much American organizations are imposing it on other cultures, which is like imposing... Like International Planned Parenthood was originally an American organization and then... Now they have the international part of the organization that's imposing these Western, these bad Western ideas onto other countries. And I think that we can kind of, it's good to take a step back and look at the international picture and not just get super focused here. Like, oh, look, Dobbs got overturned, which is great. But there's still these other places that are struggling that we need to be aware of. So um, does your family help you with your mission work at all? Yes, yes, yes. For a long time they did, but. I mean, um, um, we, and this help in the mission, our work in the mission field is multifaceted. Some of it is parish work, mm-hmm. um, some of it is advocacy work, and some of it is even event work. So we go to events, and so um, at least one of my daughters comes along with me, and she's been very involved and growing into it, yes. Yeah, that must be fun to have her with you. Yes. Do you have a favorite part about mission work? Well, um Sometimes um, I would say my natural turf is a seminary mm-hmm. because it's an envi- it is an environment which I understand, which I master, which I know very well. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm in a very good position to understand what the stakes are. Mm-hmm. And the stakes are very high. Okay. You know, if we can support seminarians and training, mm-hmm. if we can provide them with additional material that complements what they receive um, during their formal academic training in seminaries, mm-hmm. um, this can greatly impact what kind of priests they become. Mm-hmm. This can greatly impact how prepared they are to minister to families, uh, to the young people, to the society that awaits them. Mm-hmm. I keep telling them, you know, if the day a couple comes to you with a problem, 
mm-hmm. in your office or at a, 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 a directory, they they don't give you any time to go back and look at what Humanavita says. <laughs> they want you to have an answer there and then. Yeah. So the preparatory time or the preparation time for the priesthood is a very important time. And so if we can get in early and work in sync with the seminary formators, we could be well be on our way to training um, formidable young priests tomorrow that could help change the culture, turn around the culture to what we all um, are working for it to be. And to bring back marriage, mm-hmm. to give back to the family its place and its role and its structure as God intended it, mm-hmm. and to give people a reason to hope. Because because of all the challenges we face in life today, because of the despondency that we see, lots of people lose hope. Mm-hmm. The young people in many cases lose hope. Some people who have been unfortunate to enter um, love arrangements that don't wind up as they are supposed to be, mm-hmm. become despondent. They look at life as something that is not worth living. So mm-hmm. there's a big um, pastoral role that these people, these young men, play the future as priests, mm-hmm. which we ought to be supporting. And uh, I think anyone who supports it shouldn't think he's supporting X or Y seminarian. He's supporting an army that we will all need to mm-hmm. take back our society. Yeah. And also, like, one priest can have such an impact throughout exactly. the years. Like, exactly. Do priests get moved around to different parishes in Africa like they yes, do they here? Do. Okay. They do. They do. They do. In Africa, priests are moved around a bit more frequently than here. Okay. Yeah. Because that's like one thing I think about is like, okay, you have one priest and he can have that one pro-life priest could be at multiple parishes throughout the years. And that's like hundreds of thousands of people that you can reach, like hundreds or thousands, not hundreds of thousands per se. Um, like if you're a priest for, I don't know, 40, 50 years and you're at... I don't know, 20 parishes and each parish has like a certain number of people. You can have such an impact if you're counseling couples who are preparing for marriage or giving pro-life homilies. It just seems like there's such a ripple effect there. Is Africa pretty religious? Like do the priests have a lot of, I guess, influence in a sense? They still do. Um, They still do. I don't know for how long, but as we speak, they still do. And it's very important um, for us while that lasts to harness it. Mm-hmm. to hold it, to grow it, to develop it. And um, internet is penetrating Africa in leaps and bounds, which means if a priest has a good message, he does not even have to go to every part of the continent, to every part of his diocese to 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 to, to offer it. Mm-hmm. He can put it on YouTube. He can put it on Facebook. I mean, I know priests who Sunday homily... Um, has on Facebook 3,000 people watching. Wow. Yeah, so these days, all you have to be is to be ready, is for you to be good at what you're doing. And the media can take you to all the ends of the earth. Mm -hmm. And that is basically what Christ admonishes us, to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's so true. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do. (laughs) Yeah, and I see, I mean, I, I know priests who have very good programs uh, who do very focused homilies on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And if you look at those who are reacting on Facebook, they are basically reacting from the world over. Mm. So if we train these priests properly, Mm -hmm. they will impact not just their local turf, their local community, 
where they will impact the world. That's really cool. Yeah. Do you have a favorite story in your time in the mission field? Do you have any like stories that stand out of, I don't know, your favorite experience, your favorite encounter you had, anything like that? Yes. Um, one that I found, I find quite interesting is I was at a hospital um, waiting for a procedure. And the doctor who came, the anesthetist who came to uh, get me ready for the procedure, actually recognized me and said, hey, you, you probably don't remember me. I said, yes, I don't. He said, but you came and gave us training in medical school while we were medical students. Uh, this is an aspect of our mission that we don't consider particularly to be a big area, mm-hmm. but see how much impact it generated. Only the good Lord knows how in the practice of his profession, the things he learned, the things we shared are impacting him. So again, our pro-life mission is not um, a factory where we process stuff, mm-hmm. where we put in 10 pounds of meat and it gives us X amount of bacon, of, of, <laughs> of, of uh, hamburgers on the other end. It is a seed sowing mission on, mm-hmm. at all levels. When we go to do the work, we are sowing seed. Mm-hmm. When somebody supports the mission financially, they are sowing seed. When somebody prays for the mission, they are sowing seed. And all of these are sown in the hope that the good Lord is going to provide a bountiful harvest. And I think he's doing so in many ways. Yeah, that's a beautiful analogy. Thank you. And thank you for being on the podcast today. This has been a really good, I've enjoyed having all these conversations with all of you regional directors. So thank you for the work you do. I'll be glad to come back again soon. Yes, that would be awesome. Thank you. And to all of our listeners, please like, follow, subscribe, share with your friends, whether you're listening on YouTube, Rumble, or any of our audio platforms, and keep on living the culture of life. Thank you and God bless.